Namaste. Let me start by reading a small little passage from the mother where she describes the integral yoga and compares it with three com- conceptions of the world. Three conceptions of the world, one Buddhist and Shankara, the world is an illusion. a field of ignorance and suffering due to ignorance the one thing to do is to get out of it as soon as possible and to disappear into the original non-existence or non-manifestation number 2 the vedantic as very commonly understood the world is essentially divine for the divine is omnipresent here there but its exterior expression is distorted obscure ignorant perverted the one thing to do is to become conscious of the inner divine and remain fixed in that consciousness without troubling about the world for this external world cannot change and will always be in its natural state of unconsciousness and ignorance number 3 shurbindo's view the world as it is is not the divine creation it is meant to be but an obscure and perverted expression of it it is not the expression of the divine consciousness and will but this is what it is meant to become it has been created to develop into a perfect manifestation of the divine under all his forms and aspects light and knowledge power love and beauty this is our conception of it and the aim we follow so here this yoga as uh, very beautifully james has put it's about uh, the divine life upon earth but before we come to that let's just understand some of these words we use the word integral yoga and yoga is essentially union it is union with the divine though the term nowadays carries many kinds of connotations for example yoga for fitness yoga for health yoga for um, getting rid of illnesses yoga for mind body balance none of these is yoga in the real sense of the word the word itself means union uh, yoga is also used nowadays in various kinds of packages and Uh, practices and disciplines and exercises for example meditation breathing exercises none of this is yoga we may practice these disciplines and we may not have entered even the spiritual life these are mother's words that one may practice disciplines such as the raj yoga but as a discipline that every day morning one meditates every day one does some pranayam but may not have even entered the yoga so what really is yoga yoga is union with the divine and implied within it is the fact that there is something within us which is like an individual representation of the divine something which is individually seeks the divine that's why this idea that there is no individual soul is a um, self contradictory thing because if there is no individual soul then yoga personal effort liberation all this is meaningless who gets liberated after all if it's all an illusion and there is only the ego then there, where is the effort required after uh, whatever dies or whatever disintegrates some people like to say like the onion peel nothing is there then there is nothing to worry about nothing life is there it will offer things and at the most one can try to cultivate some attitudes go through it as well as one can and that's it about it after death there will be nothing which survives 
So there is an individual element within us which seeks the divine and we'll talk about what this individual element is, is naturally attracted to the divine, turned to the divine. It may not use the word divine. It may not use the word God. It may use the word that it wants perfection on earth, in earthly life, in various ways. Perfection in relationship, perfection in uh, the way the world is organized, perfection in uh, our own nature. It may just use the term progress, that we want to progress, but beyond the frames uh, within which uh, as human beings we can progress. So we should not be mistaken by terms. What is important is that there is in human beings an urge to exceed ourselves. An urge to find something beautiful, something an, like an ideal state, a perfect state, and through it to fulfill our own life and the life, collective life. Because there cannot be an individual fulfillment if life around doesn't change. So it's invariably when we talk about divine life upon earth, it implies a collective fulfillment. At least there should be a certain number of people. Otherwise, imagine if one person is... Uh, perfected and while he will have an effect but uh, what about the rest of the masses so they, it's a collective realization then only a life life has many aspects and uh, different dimensions all these can be fulfilled so it's also called as the yoga of divine fulfillment upon earth the yoga of self-perfection and this perfection is not about uh, uh, perfection in the human way human perfection is about leading a moral life, ethical life, uh, leading a good life, sattvic life more or less. Um, there is also the religious perfection where one engages in works of piety while uh, remembering God within or doing the regular sandhya vandan, bhajan, kirtan, whatever is prescribed and proscribed in the scriptures. Now even that is not perfection that we are seeking. We are seeking perfection in the sense that this human life has within, within it an utmost possibility of divinization. What is meant by this is right now our thoughts move within a small little magic circle. Uh, we know that we should not think like this, but it moves within a magic circle. We seek knowledge which is uh, uh, without any errors, but uh, with best of our efforts, still we see that errors and errors and errors creep in. We seek a truth which is untarnished by any doubt, and yet, there is this tendency, if the mind begins to think about it, there is something else uh, that it can uh, put as if against this truth. Uh, similarly, in the heart, uh, our heart, its emotions, feelings move within a narrow range. Uh, it's a chalice which is mixed with all kinds of uh, uh, contrary emotions, love and hate and jealousy, uh, giving and wanting. All these are mixed together in this chalice. And most human beings uh, reconcile that this is what life is about. And then there is this life energy which uh, has certain limited aims for which it has been uh, given to us. And then of course the body which is full of all kinds of difficulties and challenges. So this is certainly not a divine fulfillment. A divine fulfillment would mean that the mind gets true knowledge spontaneously, intuitively. It's accessible to us and all kinds of knowledge in every field, whichever field it wants to know. Whatever field of work is given to it, the mind has the knowledge spontaneously. Similarly, speech. Speech becomes flawless, perfect, faultless. The heart is freed of all turbulent emotions. It doesn't have any more hunger to receive love from someone else because it's constantly tapped into the core of love, source of love. It receives from that and gives freely. 
to the whole world. Life does not need anything outer for um, its delight. Life seeks two things, joy and power. But that joy and power are spontaneously, they flow through the currents of life, which is turned towards the highest possible uses and purposes for which life is given to us. And ultimately, even the body is freed from all that it right now suffers, disease, disintegration, decay, aging and death. That's, that's the basic idea of uh, divine fulfillment. And since human beings carry this aspiration innately, so we can say that basically uh, world and humanity has been created for this because most human beings, even these staunch illusionists, still wants things to be perfect. Even the person who says nothing can change in nature and all that I have to realize is uh, the God within, still he gets troubled when he sees things which are other than what one really hopes or wishes them to be. Uh, because that's the general trend or general thought, the way humanity has been built, inbuilt. And it has been inbuilt and programmed for progress towards greater and greater perfection. So this is the whole background of perfection. And integral yoga, so yoga is normally union of the soul with the divine because soul is that part which is comes from the divine, is in contact with the divine even though it's experiencing all the uh, sukh dukh, mela jhamela, all the good and bad and all kinds of things and it knows the divine and can it very naturally, it is inbuilt within it to turn towards wherever it sees uh, the truth of the divine. Now, this is again important because when we use the word divine, we should not mistake it for going to a temple, praying to a certain God. No, by divine it means the soul spontaneously leaps at joy wherever it sees something beautiful, something true, something good. And it feels that breath of divinity in that. It can be a majestic landscape. It can look at the mountain and suddenly feel awed. So these are soul moments which we experience in some soulscape. So, uh, we should be very careful when we use the word divine in what sense we are using it. Because most of us, the moment we have the idea of divine, we think, oh, there is a God sitting out there who is judging us. Now, all this, these are very ignorant conceptions of God because you know, whom does he judge? He is himself all of this. So, in the last analysis, it is the divine <laughs> who is perfecting himself in and in his creation and through his creation, he is fulfilling himself, he is manifesting himself. And in that, man is an important link. That's all that we have to remember. So divine does the yoga. He is fulfilling himself, all that is within him in his formless essence. He is expressing, it's like an artist. And what is the artist doing? He is painting a beautiful picture. Why? Because the picture is inside him. Or he is chipping out of the clay or stone a beautiful image. So what is the role of the stone and the clay or the chisel board? Now imagine if the chisel board by some means kept on dirtying itself again and again. So for the divine painter it becomes difficult. <laughs> uh, so our role is to be a blank chisel board which is um, open to the divine like a blank slate. Or to be like the good painting brush which uh, can last forever. Uh, and therefore, the divine can use us to paint a beautiful picture. So, what we have to do is to do Sahayoga or collaborate with the divine. Uh, divine fulfillment is bound to take place. That is the inevitable destiny, aspiration. And uh, divine will find his ways. So, it is a divine manifestation for which creation has been made. 
So this is why this yoga has been also named as uh, in there are different terms. One is integral yoga, meaning thereby not just union of the soul with the divine, but an integral union with the divine. Now this word integral implies two three things. One is integral union implies that union with the divine in every possible way. So what does it mean every possible way? There are people who speak of union with the divine, then moksha and le. That's one aspect. the impersonal brahman in whom we can dissolve but there are other aspects of the divine there is the aspect of the divine as you know he his love as the lover and beloved there is the aspect of the divine as the divine master whose nearness the soul may seek so these are different forms of mukti which are known in the scriptures and this yoga gives us all of them salokya sayujya samipya sadharma and eventually to turn the whole nature into uh, such a beautiful expression of the divine that anyone who meets does not know the difference whether it's a human nature or the divine nature so it's a molding of the human nature into the divine nature so that's what is meant by integral the word integral also means something else it means that to uh, realize the divine in each and every aspect and in this entire creation everywhere and in everything so th- these are some of the fundamental Uh, ways with which we can understand the word integral integral also means something else that mind heart life body all of them engage in the yoga and all of them arrive at their own fulfillment so the yoga as we can see moves on a vast landscape and the word integral conjures many many meanings this yoga is also known as the supramental yoga shubhendra used this word and why does the word supramental because all this that we are seeking and aspire for divine perfection of earth cannot be established unless we arrive at the perfect divine consciousness in its complete perfection what is meant by this very simple we see yogis have approached the divine but they have approached through one or the other aspect and often there are fights that's how cult sects different religions are formed whereas in the supramental all these aspects of the divine fuse into a single harmonious perfect unity so that perfect perfection is the supermind and it's only if the supermind can be embodied here so far it has acted from behind so human beings have turned to the divine but from one aspect that's why shri krishna says in the gita uses the word samagram maam it's not uh, you know Uh, rarest of rare who knows me in all the parts and principles the gita gives a hint about it uh, that in everything everywhere avyakto ham vyakto ham avyakto ham so it gives a hint in the vishrup the creation destruction everything uh, and beyond it the transcendent so in the gita we find some places where shri krishna knocks at the doors of the supermind as if pointing to this as a future realization so this is what is uh, is only the supermind which can perfect our earth nature so long as we live in the mind even the highest mind our soul may seek the divine and unite with it but our no- nature will not change at most it will become a saintly nature um a ethical man a sage uh, or whatever it, it means <laughs> at best a god um, with a small g a, a demigod like narad is a demigod Uh, born human but he has the status of the god but transformation is something else it's still further so the second term which is used about this yoga is yoga of transformation now transformation is not sainthood uh, i'll just read a passage from on transformation because this uh, uh, you know one of the another common uh, 
conceptions or misconceptions. Nowadays, people do some meditation and they say, I am experiencing a transformative change within me. <laughs> but what is meant by transformation? The meaning of transformation, Shobindo's letter, by transformation, I do not mean some change of the nature. I do not mean, for instance, sainthood or ethical perfection or yogic siddhis like the tantrics or a transcendental chinmay body. I use transformation in a special sense, a change of consciousness, radical and complete and of a certain specific kind which is so conceived as to bring about a strong and assured step forward in the spiritual evolution of the being. What it implies is that basically a transformed being will have a complete change of his operating system. He will no more operate according to any human standard or measure. It may seem to fit into that, it may not fit into that. He will operate based on the downpouring of a divine truth, based on the divine will, based on divine love, whose action we know we don't understand. That's why we don't understand the divine in the world. So his action, his thoughts, his feelings, his impulses will be the direct expression of the supreme divine in creation. So that would be a transformed nature, which allows this action, even now it is the divine who acts but hidden behind ignorance. That's why there is the distortion, because uh, human nature, earth nature, does not allow this direct action. So when people say everything is done by the divine, we should be little careful, yes, but through his intermediaries. And each intermediary takes his own cut. So, you know, the, you know, the gods, the sages, everybody takes his own cut. But here there is the direct undistorted action through the human consciousness which has become completely open and receptive without any fault or flaw. So we can imagine what kind of a goal that has been placed before mankind. Hearing all this, one may say, sir, this supramental yoga, yoga of transformation, all this seems sounds itself so difficult. So that's why there are two more names of this yoga, which is um, makes it seem so easy. So, one name is, as I think James mentioned, it is the it is Shurabindu's yoga. Now, when we use the word Shurabindu's yoga, what does it mean? It doesn't only mean that Shurabindu has patented it. No, he didn't uh, patent it. And uh, strange part is that there are people I know I won't uh, name them who have who had patented the word integral yoga and uh, divine life <laughs> before <laughs> they have come much later. This was I think ten years back. Shobinda has used this word so long back and suddenly you'll find because they patented the word. It's not about patenting the word. It means that since it is the yoga of Shobindo, then if we can come in contact by whatever means with the consciousness of Shobindo, the yoga will be taken up within us. That's what it means. So it is Shobindo's yoga, meaning thereby to come in contact with Shobindo by whatever means is to engage with this yoga. But even more simple... Shobinda has used the word the mother's yoga. Personally, to me, that's how I look at the yoga. Because when Shobinda was asked, such a big goal, tell us some method. He said, method is very easy. Goal is very big. Method is very easy. So, what is the method? He said, there, is, there are two keys to the integral yoga. One is a psychic opening to the mother. And, thus, and then he didn't say the second one. So Niroda asked him that, what is the second one? You said two keys. He said, oh, the second one is aspiration for the divine life. Meaning thereby we may turn to the mother, we may be open to her, 
but it may be only for personal purposes which is okay that itself is enough because the mother will when the right time comes she will inspire us awaken the true aspiration within us and um, the other other thing is that apart from uh, you know um, the, this this yoga being being turned to the mother that if we can aspire for the divine life means in this yoga we do not have a personal aspiration whether a mukti to become a yogi to become a guru to have a lot of knowledge uh, yes true divine knowledge divine love all this is fine not to help humanity or to get powers and siddhis but this yoga is done so that we too can become uh, flawless channels perfect instruments for the divine manifestation upon earth that's the ultimate aspiration of this yoga and if one can have it from the beginning it's wonderful otherwise as we proceed uh, this aspiration at sometimes comes to us so this is the broad landscape and let me summarize this first part to be turned to the mother is to do this yoga shobindo's word that all who are turned to the mother are in this path so this is the simplest way so then every yoga we see that there is a beginning so people often ask how do i begin the yoga so often this beginning is called initiation so i take this initiation based on a something which the mother said when somebody asked the mother mother uh, when you say i have initiated someone what does it mean she says it means that the person recognizes me so i have a very small little um, story to tell an, an example or an analogy that a child inside the womb is developing who is making the child develop it is the mother the does the child know doesn't know if you ask such a child is there a mother he'll say what nonsense there is no mother that's how life is full of darkness you must live in this darkness now this is called subconscious yoga even in this ultimately it is the divine mother who is nourishing us but we have no clue we are clueless then comes the state in which the child automatically orients itself in the position of birth so we'll see that all yoga begins with some kind of an orientation toward the divine this orientation can take different forms it can take the you know engaging with uh, reading a book something in us is beginning to at- be attracted Uh, we may like to read the read a particular book we may be attracted to um, the philosophical aspect we may have admiration for mother and shobindo we have not yet engaged in yoga we may even visit the ashram and say oh this is a lovely place worth going after some time again we tell our children long back we had gone there all this is not the beginning of yoga but still it is now the child is getting oriented and when the child is oriented inside the womb womb how does the birth take place through labor pains so the time comes when we go through the labor pains <laughs> life <laughs> says okay baby come out so from the womb we come out into the world and what happens to the child when he steps into the world first thing that the child recognizes is the mother it's inbuilt nature will teach us yoga first thing and what is the mother to the child a caregiver nourisher that's all so this recognition of the divine mother if that has not happened if we are just attracted to a philosophy we admire we like the place now it's not that it is a waste as i said this is orienting this is very important but the real yoga starts when something in us 
recognizes that she is divine. Now, this is not based on any intellectual conceptions. It's not about her achievements, accomplishments, nothing. Something happens. One maybe randomly goes to some place, looks at her photograph, or one has heard her name and suddenly something in the heart leaps. Now, this inner recognition is the beginning of yoga. This is the initiation. We may do any practice based on a course which we may have held. All that is fine. As I said, orientation. Real yoga begins with the recognition of the Divine Mother. And Shubhinder and the Mother has spoken about it. It's not that whatever happens before that is a waste. One may be influenced by a human being, by a particular reading, whatever it is. And they are all in their own place helpful. But the real yoga starts the initiation beginning when we recognize the Divine Mother in this form as the Divine. That's where yoga starts. Now here again, how does the yoga proceed? We have recognized her as the divine. But we may seek from her just nourishment and care. Like a little child. But then as the child grows, relation develops of different kinds. There are children who are like ideal children, who trust the divine mother and say whatever the divine mother tells me, uh, I'll obey it because she knows better what is good for me. But there is also the phase during which just as children revolt, so there are human beings who are divided between wonder and revolt. That also happens. All kinds of possibilities, all kinds of sadhaks. So on one side they are open, on the other side they revolt. They have doubts, they have problems, issues. It's okay, doesn't matter. The Divine Mother doesn't take offense, she doesn't discard them. An adolescent who in a rebel state says, I don't care, doesn't mean the mother stops caring. The mother loves such a child even more, you know, <laughs> because he's sick. The mother speaks of this in one of the prayers. And she patiently works. Then the next stage is when the child recognizes. Ah, my mother means so much to me. Sometime because the child has wandered far. And then the child recognizes, oh, so the relation begins to change. It becomes a relation of love. And then the relation where the child begins to give something of that love to the Divine Mother. Now people often say, you know, bhakti. Now bhakti is basically, human beings cannot engage in bhakti. We are not programmed to love the Divine unless the Divine love which is constantly in creation. It is there in every element of creation, in the stone, in the inconscient. A time comes when that love begins to spill over a little bit into the human chalice. And when that happens, we use the word bhakti. It's not that human beings have bhakti, but it is just that the divine love has taken this entire labor of love and reached a point where human beings recognize something in us recognizes. When bhakti is born, when love for the divine is born, we can take it for granted that yoga is practically finished. Because when the bond of love is created, she does the rest. But it should be a love which is of entire self-giving to uh, what else is love? Love is not about wanting, uh, love is not business, love is not profiteering, love is not calculation, love is not a legal document. You see, I often say as an aside that uh, this is something about, you know, in modern times, love is a legal document. <laughs> but uh, we don't have love as a legal document. Love is a matter of heart. 
you love or you don't love as simple as that so love is not uh, you know people who want okay what will shubhendu give me what will the mother give me and then they have these doubts that means that true love is not born there are these four kinds of uh, of course love which the gita speaks of shubhendu also speaks of uh, four kinds of loves but in a different way there is the love of the physical consciousness it's not so much love or bhakti but simply because for instance one has grown up in the ashram atmosphere or in a milieu where parents were devotees which is you know sometimes you develop a kind of attachment you feel spontaneously that uh, well if you think about god it is mother and shubhendu that is not synonymous with love it's it's the physical consciousness in its obscurity like people who grow in a family situation they begin to uh, those things uh, their lifestyle their food habits they get inbuilt into the system so physical consciousness is a kind of love but this love is very obscure it has its own place again as i said everything has its own place then there is the vital love vital love is about uh, give and take i have given so much what have you given me so i have so many instances of people who sometimes come and say oh i gave all this <laughs> what can they expect things from the divine nothing wrong with that again artharthi is a kind of bhakta but it is not yet yoga it's not yet the love of which we are speaking of there is lot of talk about love bhakti kirtan anybody who goes to temple is doing kirtan bhajan oh he has love he has bhakti no he doesn't have bhakti uh, we, bhakti is an inner state it is not something which is external uh, one may have never engaged with this and yet may have love for the divine whereas one may go and do all these things but do it with a selfish motive and wherever there is selfish motive there is not love they can take it for in writing then there is a love which is a mental love mental love for the divine so this mental love is all about uh, okay i think uh, intellectually yes shurvindo is i think he fits into the criteria of <laughs> being my guru or being the greatest of uh, yogis uh, but still there are doubts sometimes now this is a mental love it needs proofs vital needs uh, rewards and gifts and gains and the mind needs proof so time to time it is bit by a bug of doubt skepticism uh, all these again have their place but true love which is what i was referring that when that love is born we can take it that now it's a cake walk it's like one has entered the grand trunk road of the uh, yoga shubhendu speaks of it as the crowning crown of the yoga crowning movement of yoga and that love is the psychic love so psychic opening to the mother what is this psychic love it gives and gives and gives and doesn't calculate it doesn't need to know oh really why this happened to shurbindo i have a doubt or what the mother has given whatever one gets whether it be apparently pleasant or apparently painful whether it be what men call as good or what men call as bad all these are received with gratitude because that's what love is about when we love everything becomes prashad so this when this love develops this kind of a psychic love it takes lives to develop it and if it has happened to someone then uh, it's it's wonderful like it's already entered into that ultimate uh, we see when in synthesis of yoga shubhendu starts with yoga of divine works and then it goes on to integral knowledge and then yoga of divine love after that the yoga of integral self perfection so this is basically um, the the broader picture but then even after one is initiated 
what is the method? This is another question people ask. What should be the method that I must follow? So I would suggest strongly that one should read uh, the synthesis of yoga, uh, book two, first chapter, the four eights. So these are the some essential ingredients in the yoga because yoga is a journey. And when we are undertaking the journey, we must know what we should have with us, what will help us in the journey. What we must have with us is, well, the guide. We can go without the guide, but it's they, they are treacherous domains. It's a yoga of integral transformation. Within us, there are shadows, there are dark agencies, everything. There are asuras using chadmabesh. They can come, imposters, all kinds of things. Within us, there are things which may... We have no clue because uh, before the yoga start, we think world is bad and I am good. Then the yoga start, we say, well, I have my own share of problems. <laughs> and then as the yoga proceeds, ultimately we begin to see the divine in everyone, everything and behind everything. So whatever it be, the important thing is that before we start the journey, we have been initiated, means thereby we have got the ticket. Now, ticket, passport, visa. But now that's not enough. I am going to travel on a long journey. I must pack my bags well. I must first of all make sure that the guide is with me. Who is the guide and where is the guide in this yoga? It is the mother and Shobindo within us. Repeatedly from beginning Shobindo says. So there is the physical life, his birth, events, circumstances, withdrawal and each of it has its own meaning, significance. I am not going into it. We have spoken about it. But the important part is to connect with the mother and Shurabindo within us. And Shurabindo says that even in essence on the Gita, after all, subsequently, even after Krishna, who are the ones who really realized Krishna? Thousands of years down the line, latest probably Mira by Madhavacharya, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who could get in touch with the Krishna within them? Whereas there were people during his own time, just apart from the Gop and Gopi, even they didn't recognize the avatar in him. Radha, is an exception. She is the divine consort and uh, a mystic creation also, as they say. Arjun, because he showed the Vishwarupa, only five people. But much later, people recognize Krishna. So where do they recognize Krishna? Not by reading his life, because something in them begins to respond. So the avatar comes, prepared the earth nature for this yoga. And as human beings evolve, there will come a time when we will begin to recognize that they are within us. So this is important. Until then, yes, we will have all the external representations of the Divine Mother and Shurabindo. They are important. So we have the pictures. So we recognize in them Shurabindo and the Mother. We come to the ashram. It's a bhumi of Mother and Shurabindo. We receive their touch. All these things which reminds us of Mother and Shurabindo gives us the touch. But the real thing starts. When we become aware, more and more conscious that the Mother and Shubindo are with us, within us, around us, in everything and everyone. It takes time and it's not that after that all these external aids had no meaning. No. Now you love it even more. Why? Because, oh, she who is within me is there without me. But in the beginning, she is only outside. Because one has not recognized her inside. But a time comes, a process, it's through the process of love, surrender, aspiration. We talk about that a little later. One begins to recognize the presence within and she begins to guide. How does she guide? Not through do's and don'ts. God never does that. Sometimes he may. <laughs> but this guidance, divine guidance in life is something which 
works by gently turning our life in this way, giving us a nudge in the other way, we don't even recognize. And suddenly we find that we have changed. This is how divine guidance works. Some people believe that divine guidance means everything I refer, I must listen to a voice. Not necessary. Of course, it's good if one can come in contact in that way. But more often than not, the divine guide begins to automatically. It's like we are going and going to purchase a ticket. Now we have got the flight. Or let's say the flight is going via Timbuktu. And in Timbuktu, I want to purchase something. This guide will gently, if we have not to get distracted, he'll gently nudge us and turn our mind somewhere else. And we'll really recognize later, oh, I was supposed to buy that. Then we re- remember, oh, good, I didn't buy that. So the divine guidance is like that. It is a guidance which flows with life. It's not a do's and don'ts. It can happen sometimes. Supposing there is a disaster which is going to happen. But during that case, uh, situation, divine does not guide, he rescues. <laughs> so he has his ways, hundreds, thousands of ways. So he has all methods and no methods. How he will work within, sometimes he may let us even fall. Okay. But like the bungee jumper, through a thread, unseen thread, he will hold us. You are going down, down, going to touch the land and you say, Lord, where are you? And he will just, you will stop. And then he'll pull you back. So through all this, so this yoga is a yoga which moves on a vast Himalayan terrain. It's not as they say in military, sikhaye huye tarike se. Nobody can teach yoga or the method of yoga. It is something which unfolds. Yoga is like a flower unfolding. Now each unfolding will be different. The flower, lotus flower will unfold in its own way. The rose in its own way. The umble, umble grass will un, its flowers will unfold in their own way. So each one in this yoga, in a way, this unfolding is unique. That's why this yoga is not a standardized method of practice. That's why nobody can teach integral yoga the way it is understood. Okay, I will teach integral yoga. This is how everybody sits, meditates. That is the mind's way of standardizing. A process, but that's not how the divine works in the world because it takes the cognizance of the entire past. Each of us have a unique past. We are where we are because there is a whole past. Call it karma, call it destiny, whatever it is. And each of us has a unique future. Which human person can say that? That's why in this yoga there are no intermediaries. There can be some people like an elder brother who is saying, Look, you know, this is how it should be. <laughs> But no guru, no other master except mother and Shurabindu. They are the eternal guide also because nobody else can do it. I may have a certain path which I have followed. I can't say that this is the path everybody should follow. Because in each one, and the divine enjoys it. We are depriving the divine of that delight. He wants to play with each one in his own way. Who are we to say, no, no, no. Divine, we are going to change the rules. So we should be very careful. Nobody is a guru or guide in this yoga except Shurabindu and the mother. So what are we? We are just friends. We are like holding hands together. Sometimes a friend who has walked a few steps further or has fallen in the ditch and come out may be better able to tell you that look here, there is a ditch out there, there is a snake out there and if this happens, what you can do? That is also part of the divine plan. Not as a guru or master. No power of personality, no other guru or no other uh, even gods and goddesses can guide us in this yoga. It's an immense yoga. Through all the 
different terrains of our being. So, first thing is about the guru and guide, there should be clarity. Then the next is, next is the scripture, it's important. Shastra, so there are two kinds of shastra. One is those which give us the philosophical understanding of the yoga. And the second is which give us the practice of the yoga. Now, I have had several talks on this, so I will not elaborate much, but essentially just three things are important. One is, okay, it's good to understand the philosophical background, but if you want to practice yoga, plunge into the yoga, you will understand the philosophy as we grow into the yoga. And the one uh, shop stopper is mother's works, mother's works, mother's works. People pick up the life divine, gives, oh, I have read Shyamitra's life divine. <laughs> Mother's works, all about the yoga, philosophy and practice you will find, intertwined together. This is not to say Shyamitra is sheer joy. I, I accept that, but they are one and the same. Mother holds our hands, teaches us step by step. Shyamitra is like, he says, he is the principal of the school and he says, okay, now you are admitted to kindergarten. Then, when we are higher secondary, next step is you have to clear all this, then higher secondary. Then, next step is come out and, you know, do your graduation. <laughs> Mother comes to kindergarten, then lower KG, upper KG, class 1, 2 and takes us right through to PhD. So, we should read Mother's works first and foremost. And, uh, yes, simultaneously we can read Shurabindo's works. Also, we must know the difference. Shobindu had written these words to prepare the mind of the race. And uh, he says, I wrote it because there were many things in my mind which I had to express. Swanta Sukhaya. That's, that was the reason. Because mother had asked him to write and he wrote. What a mother's conversation? They are pointed specific queries by disciples in the classroom. Disciples were asking her, how do, what is this yoga? How do I practice yoga? How do I meditate? How do I sleep? How do I dream? Or what, what about my dream? What is relationship? What is marriage? Children? Entire gamut. Connected with the yoga and from the yogic point of view. You will find Shirobindu's letters also touching upon all these aspects. So letters on yoga. Again, are one shop stopper. Where if you read through the entire letters, the philosophy and practice is there. But uh, as I said, it's a vast subject. But yet we must understand. No books or any number of books can ultimately write all that takes place in the yoga. Shubhinda says that and he says at the end, Shabd Brahma Ativartate, beyond the scripture. Because the sadhak of this yoga is not a sadhak of one book or any number of books or many books, but he is a sadhak of the infinite. Again, books are a great help. One should carry them, read them. Through the books we come in contact with Shubhinda and the mother's consciousness. These books prepare our mind, our heart. They can even put the spark, awaken our soul. Whenever we are depressed, these books can uplift us, especially Savitri and prayers and meditations. So they should be there. But we must know that it's not like consulting a book almanac, whether I should turn left or turn right. There are many, many things that will take place in life. And every event and circumstance can become either a way to rise to the heights or away toward the precipice. Any, even the minutest event, because this yoga is interwoven in life, to walk through life. That's how Shivinda puts it. That 
it is interwoven in life the slightest reactions a casual meeting a chance encounter a feeling which has arisen within a thought that crosses the mind what i have spoken and what i have held back i have shook a hand with somebody and things have been transmitted which have evoked a certain response or i did a namaste and felt ah someone special all these small little details somebody criticized oh you are a useless person or somebody praised all these are yoga proceeds through all these uh, life events and circumstances and the mother says it's very easy to remain conscious when big things are happening but very difficult when small little things when you are in the ashram you can you know sitting in the near the samadhi oh it's my time for meditation somebody comes you are not distracted when you come out step out of the ashram somebody says you are looking ill oh am i having fever am i not well is it fear this is where yoga is taking place so yoga this yoga is conterminous with life there is no separate time when we dedicate to yoga and separate time when we dedicate to people or work work is yoga relationships are yoga going out for a walk is yoga eating is yoga speaking is yoga listening is yoga writing is yoga reading is yoga playing tennis is yoga doing long jump is yoga <laughs> bringing up a child is of course most difficult yoga <laughs> managing a husband or wife is yoga <laughs> teaching a child is yoga my mother has said to be an ideal wife you have to be a yogi <laughs> at least the kind of expectations that uh, human husbands <laughs> well human husbands husbands put into so you have to be a yogi only a yogi can take all this with equanimity and acceptance so the wife progresses much faster because she has taken the yogic attitude <laughs> so <laughs> whatever it be the point is that there is a lot of humor also in yoga yoga is not done with a serious face yoga is done with a glad heart it's a joyous journey it's not like oh my god i'm going what may happen to me tomorrow will this train reach will this flight crash are who is carrying this flight i can share one of my experiences very interesting during one of the difficult times i saw that i was in a flight and the flight was through many clouds it looked like it is going to crash any moment there were 10 10 12 14 people along with me and it was like coming down as if because you know clouds are dangerous and uh, the 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 terrain is difficult like a hilly terrain there are trees all around and it was it truly a very difficult time that i was going through but with the trust in the divine mother she'll take through so ultimately at the end of the whole thing <laughs> the flight lands so it lands these 12 13 people 14 people i don't know why i remember the number 12 or 14 i didn't count them but they come down and they go they are all happy and we have landed as i come down i said who is the pilot who has taken us <laughs> this is a whole experience so i go and see him and i see there krishna So you see, he is the guide. He is the pilot. Shrivinder is the pilot, and Shrivinder writes this one in one of his poem. Please read it to our honor birthday. He says you have to trust the pilot. So there are situations, circumstances when we looks like you know we are done. Not yet. As long as there is faith, we are never done. And even if faith is obscured, as long as there is hope. 
that there is divine we are never done so this should never come so we should cultivate certain attitudes in this yoga the mother speaks of them and these are there in a 12 powers outside there are many others um, like perseverance uh, of course uh, along with perseverance we need equanimity endurance sincerity is a you know aspiration courage to face difficulty and most important humility if one does not have humility it's very dangerous to take up yoga because yoga will release certain elements in us even forces may oh you are a great instrument of god and we don't know we are going towards uh, hell through the heavenward path so humility before the divine humility is not before others humility before the divine that how much ever one may know experience one is nothing before the divine vigilance is important vigilance is uh, the discerning intelligence tells you that there is a warning sign there still things will happen one will go through so when one goes through divine is there to rescue us but then we must learn to endure faith all these things are important because in yoga there are plenty of cosmic forces we are not alone in this universe we know but apart from human agencies there are gods and there are titans and they test us mother never tests us thankfully she is on our side she is there to give us grace marks when we falter or fumble in the exams she is also there to whisper the right answer in our ears but she never tests us but there are agencies which test us why do they test us why are they allowed to see whether we are ready or not because after all what we are going to receive that divine perfection is not a joke is not something to be given to a weakling so in this yoga many many things will happen through which things will unfold where it's not scripture scripture is good you can have your own important uh, take home points like your personal rays of light for instance finally it is faith that cures some people you know remember it you can have your own take all can be done if the god touch is there yes for, for each one pick up those important things from the scripture and keep it always in the heart because the real scripture is here and it unfolds as a true knowledge secret knowledge as we move on the journey this is the second part third is the disciple god is there water is there but we may refuse to drink like children when parents carry nice water they want the child to take the child says no no i want pepsi coca cola what can a mother do because he will cry he will shout he will say you are not letting me drink my drink my choice my freedom so <laughs> you know what a dangerous thing this freedom can be yet yoga is based on freedom of choices because that opens the path so we will have that situation circumstances as a disciple we may divine may prepare everything nice meal for us to have and we may say i want two minute maggi noodle what does it mean we are attracted towards paths which tell us okay we'll teach you one meditation you'll feel very good happy and this is what yoga is about you imagine the supramental light coming down entering your body cleansing yourself well one can have that kind of mcdonald stuff can practice those things but don't mistake it for yoga it's fine there are different practices we'll come to that tomorrow but we should not think that because i'm doing this every day i am engaged in yoga as i said 
it's not about practice but about the aspiration what do i want the yoga for for experiences no for power no for helping humanity no for becoming a guru or a yogi no for becoming a swami no for becoming a supramentally transformed being who is freed from death no a big no what is the yoga meant for for the divine to be channels of the divine to manifest the divine in this earthly life to become one with the divine to live for the divine by the divine so that our whole life belongs to the divine that is the core aspiration for this yoga and in that aspiration and surrender fuse together if this is the aspiration to live for the divine then minimum requirement is that i surrender myself to the divine i can't say that i want to live for mother and then i am running around here there everywhere or yes i can give one part to the mother mother please hold me i have given myself to you and then with the other hand i am doing hi bye everything well it happens these are steps and stages but what we should never let go of is the hand that is held holding us then she will pull us through everything so this is the disciple we'll talk more about it when we talk about the practices what a disciple but the core of the disciple is aspiration and enthusiasm a joyous enthusiasm this is the only thing worth doing as long as one thinks yoga is a side practice it is not yoga yoga is a full time occupation a full time engagement it doesn't mean leaving job and saying okay now i am an integral yogi change your dress it means that it is my life it is my bread and butter and jam and cheese and everything else that when that happened that yoga is not just a occupation but a preoccupation all the time it is occupying us like the wings which are hovering over us then yes whatever we may be doing through that we can turn it into yoga and finally as shubindu says it takes time it reminds me of the time yes our time for today's session is over time simply means that we have many complex entangled knots in our nature and we keep making new ones <laughs> so so they have to be disentangled and it takes time so we have to allow the divine time we should not uh, okay when will i have this experience when will i find the psychic being the more impatient we are the longer it's going to take impatience implies lack of trust impatience implies that well there is a kind of contract with the divine i am doing this checklist now you have to give me the marks hurriedly impatience implies lack of surrender what the divine has to give is his prerogative and our focus should be on what we are supposed to do once the process of yoga has started in us as long as we believe this life of senses bandwidth of mind what common humanity is doing society and all else that satisfies us don't step into the yoga this yoga is not meant to convert followers but the day we begin to feel no there is a world outside there which is different beyond this everything is there in life still we feel there is something which is greater more we may vaguely feel it doesn't matter you want to go beyond the limits of this human prison then the yoga has begun and that's why it is called a new birth and there is a whole passage of the mother in collected works of the mother volume 9 
her last talk in the playground on new birth please read it so we'll stop here today and tomorrow we'll take up some of the processes of yoga thank you Yes. Um, how can one develop aspiration? One develops aspiration is like a flame. When the aspiration is, I mean, how can one develop the aspiration? It's like we can visualize it like a flame. So, how does the flame grow? By feeding it. So, aspiration grows by offering. What should we offer in a flame? If we offer in a dust, the flame will go away. in the beginning at least when it has become a fire it will consume everything but especially in the beginning one should guard the aspiration one should offer one's activities but if these activities are of a very dark kind still we have to offer uh, say people who olden times we hear about yagya yagya and in that the rakshasas will come and pour uh, wine i mean drinks and all these things so if we start offering all that nothing i mean we can offer technically anything and everything we should offer everything but from our side we should try that at least when i am putting an offering it should be something beautiful that's where rejection comes so all things that are contrary to the yogic fire all things that can it can never extinguish the yogic fire but it can dim the fire we should avoid which includes meeting people there are people whose company marriage parties this dance party that they definitely have a dimming effect on the aspiration whereas satsang me- meeting those people in the company of those who can uh, you know uh, inspire us so you know whose flame is lit into fire uh, of course books they all these will enhance our aspiration so offering rejecting all that can stifle the flame it can never extinguish but stifle the flame that's a big subject I'll speak about it tomorrow, but basically, it's offering, which will increase the fire. Offering of all we think, all we feel, all we will, all we are, and all we do. That is the way to increase the fire or the flame of aspiration. Sir, yes, please. Uh, yes, please. The present, uh, while uh, the present uh, era presents. Uh, very very highly a complex uh, phenomena where we are uh, you know actually our opinion matters a lot and we conveniently enter into a very comfort zone yes so how do we come out of this comfort zone so on one side there is opinion and each of us have our opinion and it does matter in 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 the field wherever we are doing on the other side is we become are why get into any opinion why speak out something because it may create problems so that's what is a comfort zone so what is important is we must speak what we get truly inspired from the divine mother and when that inspiration the doors of that inspiration are open we must speak under the influence of the divine will and then we should speak it courageously fearlessly frank frankly but at the same time we should not push things almost getting into you know the problem with world of opinions is that there are because each one is trying to prove their own opinions as true debates discussions arguments no we have to express what we believe to be true 
if we are called upon to express some people are not called upon to express it's perfectly fine but if we are called upon to express let us turn to her feel that inspiration and then speak and it should be as you know when we speak in that state there is a inner peace and joy there is never a state of disharmony or anger agitation excitement that should definitely there will be like field of ignorance in which we continue to be in ignorance so that courage comes from the divine if if divine gives a work he gives us the courage and the know how and all that is necessary to do it so to act and speak under the divine inspiration is the answer and not otherwise yeah sir we as indians are highly emotional and we are easily swayed by any opinion Yes, see, we Indians. No, I would rather say there are different parts of India. I mean, having travelled through the and all the Indian states, different parts. We are very emotional. We are very passionate. We are very intellectual. Also, I I would rather say some of the greatest intellectual works. We can be very scientific minded, but what you are saying is true. It's a it's a phenomenon because <coughs> we Indians have forgotten what it means to be an Indian. So uh, we have been so much uh, put under the 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 colonial mindset, the slavery, uh, mental slavery. That anything which comes ratified from the uh, well, I don't want to qualify racist comment, but anything that like a breeze blowing from the Western world, uh, we immediately accept it. Even scientific things. So we must develop our own things. We must have the courage. and <clears throat> explore truth so we have this it's a kind of an intellectual slavery but now the change is coming i see that and indians are waking up to their own truth i i my own uh, in fact impression is different i have met people across the world and uh, across board all over the world i find the indian mind far more intellectual and subtle in grasping subtle things because it's trained like that but we have lost that faith in ourselves we need to revive that faith we have developed this idea that whatever comes from say the other side of the world is true that's a passing phase i could almost give a talk on that you know modernism postmodernism metamodernism liberal thought all this can be shredded to pieces socialistic thought but we don't we must we, we shouldn't be afraid of exercising the intellect shubhendra says that in fact one of the things is that uh, we have become afraid of thinking but it should be our own thinking we must recover it and we should we should do it with uh, courage yes it's a necessity i quite agree with you and it will come it is beginning to happen mm. but uh, if it comes through engaging in yoga by recovering of the as shubhendra says the aryan way of life which encourages thought which conserve the energies and changing the rithas in through tejas and ojas and viryas that is the path people unfortunately waste a lot of time in gossip on in you know all these free floating opinions the effect of uh, the the present social media phase yes yes i completely agree so much time on instagram and uh, whatever i don't know what grams and kilograms i mean yeah 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 i completely agree they they 
they not only are, they are not just a waste they are a criminal waste so instead we should learn to contemplate reflect discover our own you know whatever we we can take up a subject and contemplate reflect that is what meditation is about and discover truths in our own unique way yes i quite agree okay so maybe james we can meet tomorrow how does one assess the progress what is taking on the that just what one should not do because assessing progress means first of all it difficult to assess because this yoga touches different parts of nature in different people so there is no one way it's like you know when you see a building being made it difficult to say where has the building gone for a long time because in one part the foundation is being prepared in another part the floor is being laid so depending on which side you will see and uh, in some place you will see nothing but the bricks have been purchased so uh, mother in fact says uh, it's not good because the more we think about ourselves including the progress made the more we are concentrated upon ourselves and uh, the concentration should be on uh, on the divine and not on ourselves but one thing yes we can assess is how much i have given myself to the divine that is something easier whether i have surrendered myself to the divine or not and we know it by the reactions if something troubles us disturbs us makes us restless means in this part surrender is not yet complete that should be uh, what we can assess uh, how much is my aspiration to but progress in terms of results no certainly not that was just a passing thought i had uh, my last visit to pondicherry yes so i thought you know could it be in front of you no no absolutely absolutely it's to check uh, whether we are on the right track because as you mentioned this kind of journey okay i'll 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 give you a short answer to that if aspiration is growing if there is the joy of uh, moving on the path if there is an urge for progress if there is uh, this urge to give oneself to the divine mother to surrender more and more if uh, the company of sure bidan the mother uh, whether inwardly or outwardly through books like the fact that you have connected in this webinar all this is a sign that we are on the right track uh, on the other hand all depression loss of faith uh, tendency to you know that cynicism are what is the use of all this all this is a sign we are going off track especially depression if there is a state of depression means we are losing track and if there is a natural uh, peace and joy a glad state inwardly that means things are fine basically and the urge to progress to read more and more to give more and more that's a sign that we are progressing short answer then. yeah okay yeah thank you dr lok yeah thank you thank you see you all tomorrow yeah see you tomorrow Bye.